Are you ready to make a real difference in the world and especially to the people around you? Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast, where we celebrate the road less traveled in business, leadership, and life. We welcome you to another conversation that we believe will provide you with the insight and inspiration you need on your journey. Here's your host, Kevin Monroe. Welcome to this episode. It's number 156 of the Higher Purpose Podcast. Hey, thanks for joining today and for being a part of this amazing experience and journey that the Higher Purpose Podcast has been for me, for us. I've had the joy of showing up here every Tuesday now for the past three years. It's been a truly remarkable experience, and I've made so many friends through the journey of this podcast. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome one of those here as my guest. There's hardly a week that goes by now without multiple requests of people wanting to join as a guest or book someone as a guest. And often people ask, how do I get to be a guest on your podcast? Well, let me tell you, the organic route is best. It doesn't always work, but it's the best way. Many of my guests are friends or we've become friends through the journey of this podcast. And through becoming friends, I discover how awesome and amazing you are and that you have something that excites me to share with our community of listeners. That's the most direct path. It's not always the fastest. And it's certainly true of Emily Elrod, today's guest. I'm thrilled to have Emily join us here today And I trust that you enjoy our conversation. We just wrapped up a session where we were talking about the extraordinary you. And I believe we're about to enjoy an extraordinary conversation. So sit back or keep walking, driving, whatever it is you're doing. Enjoy the listen. Oh, what a joy it is to have Emily Elrod of WorkSpeed join us today for this conversation on the Higher Purpose Podcast. Emily, it's just a pleasure to welcome you here today. Thank you so much, Kevin. I'm blessed to be here. So, yeah, well, you know what I start with. I'm going to ask you, what are you grateful for right now? And then in a few moments, we're going to talk about what right now, this is a different right now for us, but what are you grateful for now? I am grateful for one technology. The ability to have this, to have a conversation in the middle of a crisis and to get to speak life and hope and love into others. I am beyond grateful for you, Kevin, for your willingness to reach out and to spread a message that is encouraging and uplifting. And I'm just also grateful for people. People are awesome. 90% of them are amazing. 10% are a little headache, but we still love them. But people. All right. So, wow, I'm humbled by that. I am grateful for you. And I am grateful for this conversation we're having right now. And that you and I've just spent the last hour and 20 minutes together in this journey. So back in May, I started hosting these things that we call waymaking sessions. The reason we call these waymaking sessions is in this critical time in our world, many of us, we're just trying to make our way forward. Waymaking 
is not just sense-making. Sense-making is trying to figure it all out. Way-making is saying, hey, there's stuff we can't figure out right now, but we're not going to wait until we figure it out. We're going to make our way forward in spite of difficulties, in spite of challenges, in spite of impossibilities. And so I started hosting these sessions we call Waymaking Sessions. And you're leading us in the July session. And we just spent that time together. And I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for just how people, you're grateful for people. I'm grateful for how people connect us to other people. When I look at this and somehow connectedness is one of my strengths. So I just easily remember this. Jane Adshead Grant months ago, introduced me, and I'd already met her, but she said, you really need to meet Rachel Druckenmiller. And then because of meeting Rachel Druckenmiller, I meet you, Emily, because Rachel invites you to join the hangout that I host. And then all of a sudden, we connect. And then there's just this, I see the path, but I'm grateful for that. So let's talk about what's still stirring in your heart and even your emotions right now from this conversation we were just having. And I'll let you frame up the conversation because I love the title and all of this. So let's just dive into this. Awesome. So we just went on an hour of getting knowledge that will, as I love, that leads to inspiration. Not just giving just facts, but also giving inspirational content that will inspire people to enact change. because. What do we say is or knowledge in action is called wisdom. And so we talked about the extraordinary you and how I had it framed up is the extraordinary you. But to continue the series or to begin the series, for us to understand what the extraordinary is, we first have to know us mm. and the you. How are you made? And we went on a conversation about is it nature? Is it nurture? Or is it neither? And then from there, just having thought processes of how are we designed? How are we made? How's our physiology? How are we actually designed? And everybody has it. Doesn't mm. matter if we have the same nature or nurture. I'm a twin. Mm. So if anybody has that, like, oh, like, what is it? I've wrestled with that. I didn't know that about you, Emily. It was really interesting when you shared that. It's like, ah, because I remember things my father commented and made observations about how different my brother and I were, but we weren't twins, right? So I know this really gets interesting for twins, but let's go back to this whole idea. You listening, you know that a couple of years ago, we launched a project that we called Extraordinary Life and the Extraordinary Experiment, inviting people to kind of discover what makes life extraordinary, what makes you extraordinary. And then last year at this time, we'd begun hosting the gratitude challenges and we put them inside this community. And that's when we coined the term, this extraordinary life. Emily, you know this about me. I've shared it with you before. And I think a lot of you listening can probably relate to this. What do you see when you look in the mirror? When I look in the mirror or when I look at my life journey, I see a very, and I'm serious, this is not self-deprecation. This is just how I see myself. I'm a very ordinary guy. I grew up in an ordinary, you know, like the house in a small town, two parents, two children, a dog, 
two cars, all of the things that were average. And I just see ordinary. But I have this desire to be extraordinary. And I used to think that because I wasn't born with exceptional gifts, talents, and abilities, I couldn't be extraordinary because I was just ordinary. Then this journey led us to realize it's choices we make and things that so many people look at. Well, that's just an ordinary thing. So I love this focus of extraordinary. And when we combine those, it becomes extraordinary. So way into that wherever you want to jump, my friend. Well, the thing that I found is going back to that extraordinary you, for you to look in the mirror first is huge. Mm -hmm. Many people don't even take the time to even do that. Yes, to look in, in the mirror to say, physically, how do I look? Oh, I have conversations with the man in the mirror. Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, look him in the eye. <laughs> this is the thing is having those deeper things because I'm ordinary, you're ordinary, but there's things that are a little extra about us that for me, people have spoke into my life and told me, and it took numerous times for them to tell me that, hey, you're good at this for me to be like, oh, it's my little extra thing that I am. So mm -hmm. I'm ordinary, but there's this extra thing. That's my gift, my calling. And if I just dive into it, it's an extraordinary you or extraordinary me. And why I say that is because whenever I get to be me, and I get to be extraordinary, I get to live out this life, this passion, which is the part for me that I had to do is to dive down deep and first learn, who am I? How am I working? How am I going? And that's the thing for you that I see, I always tell you all the time, you are one of the best facilitators mm. ever. Mm. Thank you. It, most people are like, oh, like you probably don't think anything of it. I don't. You're amazing at it. But it's your extra. Mm. Mm. And whenever you get enough people to tell you you're extra, then you might can look at it. Yeah. But what if you don't have people to tell you you're extra? Mm. What if you don't have that? So you have to do it for yourself as well. And that deep mm. looking of who are you? How are you made? And what drives you? Okay, so I'm going to go back. A friend of mine, Tom Winninger. It's now probably... Seven or eight years ago, I was in a room with Tom Winninger, and this is when it started opening for me. Tom said, and I vividly remember it, there are things that I remember that he said, and then there are thoughts that I remember it stirred that he didn't say. And then Tom and I have become friends, and I've had him on the podcast a couple of times. But Tom said that, that you are gifted to do, you don't understand. You cannot deconstruct it and teach it to others because you just do it naturally, right? So this whole idea of facilitation, yes, I've come to understand I really am gifted at facilitation. Now, when people ask me, well, what do you do? And I'm like, well, no, right, right. It's kind of hard to deconstruct and say, well, here's the three steps or the seven steps. But it's those things that we are gifted to do. But the moment Tom said that, I remember the extension where it went in my mind. And that's why we undervalue it because it comes so easily, so naturally to us that we then think, oh, anybody can do this. So it's not that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. But the thing I love that you said, so I'm going to ask you to weigh in on that. But the other one is for me, 
It's these little things. I think some of us, we get so hung up on this because we think it has to be something large, extravagant, huge, you know, really big that you do that sets you apart. And what I've come to realize, Emily, and I love that you, it's all these little things. And it's the cumulative effect of these little things that bring that extra to the ordinary and all of a sudden it's transformed. So jump in. For me, it goes back to what we were talking about in the webmaking session is that our thoughts lead to our feelings, which leads to our actions, which lead to our behaviors. And that's Mm. how we're designed by the body. So we have a thought and it triggers an emotional response or triggers a biochemical to go through. So for that, it's those little thoughts. Mm. So, and your thoughts can be positive or negative. So they can basically secrete biochemicals to do good for you or they can hurt you. And so over the cumulative of these little, little thoughts, because the thing is, is there's no difference between you, me, we all have the same 24 hours a day and they're like, oh, that's so cliche. She's not going there, but I am (laughs) because the reality is, is that our thoughts lead to our feelings, which leads to our actions, which lead to your behaviors. For me, my thought is I get this one chance on earth. Mm-hmm. And I actually had a conversation with my son about this too yesterday. As we were talking about age and as young times, some people like get scared about death. And so he's just asking about death and he was talking about how it's sad that somebody died. I was like, yes. But the thing that I think is the saddest is that people don't live in the now. Like they don't live today, that they wait until then and they don't get to And that's what I love about it's this extraordinary life. It's not that. You have the right to live it. We're all ordinary people. But if we work on our thoughts, our feelings, which will lead to actions and behaviors, but then also we have to go the backwards of it. Okay. I'm listening to you and I'm even looking. I am got up on my screen behind the Zoom where we're at. The handout you created for today's session. And I thought about, And it just really hit me as you said this. I learned this years ago, seriously, as a teenager, and I turned 60 last year, so that's like 45 years ago. I heard something that it affected me profoundly then. But even today, I'm realizing there's a little different nuance that I didn't learn. I learned it. The quote I've since learned is really attributed to Frank Outlaw, who was the CEO of Bilo Grocery back in the early 1900s. But here's the way I learned it. So a thought, reap an act. So an act, reap a habit. So a habit, reap a lifestyle. So a lifestyle, reap a destiny. So thought, deed, habit, or a lifestyle, destiny. But you know what wasn't in that chain <laughs> I learned that's in the chain you shared? And I know you know it. What is it? Feelings. Yeah. So there's something happening recently in this generational time we're living in now, where we are opening the can to talk about feelings, because most of us kept the lid on the can of feelings. We would talk about thoughts, deeds, actions, but we left out feelings. So I'm just looking at this, thoughts, feelings. Let's open that can and talk about feelings and why feelings matter. I think the biggest thing is 97% of your decisions are made off of feelings. I don't believe that. No, I'm teasing. (laughs) Right? I mean, we don't want to believe that. We want to say, 
And so even when you said that earlier, I typed in the chat, it's kind of funny because I heard this years ago. We want to think we are logical in our decisions, but you have to realize almost every buying decision you ever made, and I can think of all the buying decisions that I made, like cars and motorcycles or whatever, they were emotional decisions that we then use logic to justify. Oh, but there was a special interest rate or there was this sale or all of these. No, that's not what you were thinking when you bought. It was a feeling. So 97%? Yes. And that's the key point of it too, is that if we're leaving out feelings Mm -hmm. that are making our policies, they're making our buying decisions, they're making how we marry, they're making all these decisions for us, why are we not addressing them? And the thing too, is that feelings is so deep. It's like an onion. It's like one layer at the time. And you may not know because the beautiful thing about our body is that whenever we have a sensor or something that makes us feel a certain way, and it's a negative one, we might cover it up with something else. Mm -hmm. And then we might cover it up with something else. And then another one, and it can be stemmed all the way back from childhood. And so Because feelings got us in trouble at some point in childhood, or me. Let me just sit, right? Yes, and it is. And it takes a lot of, I want to say, it does take some, call it you work. Mm -hmm. It is absolute you work. It is where you look at how were you made? How were you designed? What are some of the feelings? Mm -hmm. And as we talked in, we talked about four biochemicals that I think are very important. It's serotonin, your safety cop, dopamine, your reward, which is your cheerleader, oxytocin, your loving grandmother, and then cortisol, your angry coworker. But when are times that you felt unsafe, unappreciated, not loved, and you were angry? And just start simple with those mm. and making sure whenever you actually make buying decisions, did you buy it because you felt safe with it? Like, okay. Or did you think you're going to lose something mm. and you didn't go with it? Just ask yourself why. And then stem down through that thoughts, feelings, actions, habits. Have some of those feelings actually created actions that shouldn't have been created? Are you in debt because of the feeling that you had to buy things, that you had to look a certain way, that you had to live? Or are you eating certain foods because of feelings? What are some of the actions that you do every day that you may not have explored? Well, I didn't know this was going to become therapy for Kevin. No, no. (laughs) Do I have to answer all of those questions? (laughs) Yes, you do. I'm just kidding. (laughs) So, wow. And this got really deep in our conversation. So I want to ask you something about this. And I am happy to go into some of, well, I'm not happy. Let me think. I need to go to the emotional wheel or the mood meter and go, well, that's not really happiness. That's something over here close to. But when did you, because I know that you didn't always have this understanding, because that was one of the things in an earlier conversation, when this started becoming both I'll say revelationary, learning new insights, and also revolutionary for you to go, oh my gosh, talk about your journey a little bit. And when your eyes started being open to just how extraordinary you are and we are. So, oh, where do you want me to start? So I actually have a unique background in engineering. So I've always been nerdy and I love how things are designed. But I have a master's in physiology and how the body works. And so there was a two-part fold is one, I was in my master's 
and, or actually my undergrad, sorry, at that time. And I live in life. I was the head cheerleader, collegiate cheerleading, D1 college. I had it all, quote unquote. I was doing great. I was even leading Bible study during that time. Then I found myself pregnant out of wedlock in the South. Mm. Judgment City. But what I, after, this took years after of discovery to figure out why I was, the biggest judge, the biggest critic was not others. It was myself. And the exploratory process that I had during that time of, I didn't know I was depressed. I didn't know why I was feeling the way I was feeling. I just knew I was sad. I hid. I hid not only from my people, but whenever I was out in public, I hid with a smile. I'm still happy. I'm still good. And then it didn't come to the point that I almost died having my child. Mm. That it's like, as I always say, my child is a gift from God. His name is literally named Jaden, which was one that rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Mm. And he rebuilt my life for the better. And it was not until him, I had the education. I could have known it, quote unquote. But there were things that I learned even more that how much stress affects us more than what we're eating and how we're sleeping because I was doing it all right. Quote unquote. Mm. I was exercising. I was running up to, I was about had the child or had Jay Lee. Mm. So that was a revolutionary moment for me to unpack because I am such a nerd on how am I designed? Why am I doing this? Why am I depressed? Why? And I don't want to live this life and mm. I can't. And I think one other thing that really impacted me during that time is I remember going to a funeral and this guy's like, your life's over. You're about to have a kid. I'm like, <laughs> shoot, I'm about to tell you wrong. Like, I knew I was going to be a single mom. Okay, I can do that. Was it easy? No. But I think the grit and resilience and maybe the deeper thinking of what extra little steps that led me to where I am that I could overcome this. And just going deeper diving into me and who I am and what makes me. And I peeling that onion back Mm. that from that, it was a deep seated of that not feeling loved Mm. and how it led to where I was and how that as somebody that does wellness and health and stress and safety, like we are always preaching, eat right and sleep right and move more. How about their stress? Are they loved? Gratitude. I love that you start with gratitude because we know, and I'm not, like a proponent for smoking. But if you quit smoking, you only increase your life by 5%. If you increase your gratitude, you increase your life by 17%. Mm. That is how powerful it is. And it's because it affects your stress. And that stress has so much and can weigh on you, can hold you down. And so that's basically how I kind of got into this is I had some background of how our body works. And I did a deep, deep dive Mm. into me and knowing my body's cues and what makes me who I am. So you used a couple of words that landed deeply with me, part because of my journey and having bouts with depression. And then also there's this phrase that has really troubled me. So as we are recording this, we are now in the fifth month of the global pandemic of COVID-19. And that, according to some reports, there will be as many or more deaths of despair 
than deaths from the actual virus. That weighs heavily on me because despair, disappointment, disillusionment, depression, all of those what I call the deadly Ds, right, that are there. What about despair? What is it? And how do we help people? Because we know, I mean, this isn't because we're brilliant. This is just because of the law of averages. Some of you listening right now are dealing with despair. Some of you listening right now, and I love this interesting point that we can be in depression and not even know we're in depression. So many people are. Yeah. And that's what it was for me is I still didn't know it until I had some, I'm like, okay, so I'm not doing what I usually do. Why? And it's that thing, looking in the mirror and asking yourself, why are you doing what you're doing? And it's not to be judgmental of what you're doing. And so that's what I speak about a lot. It's the love. Like, Let's talk about the difference between awareness and judgment. And it's going to go back to the word love. Is because for awareness is that you can't love others if you can't love yourself first. Mm-hmm. You can't lead others if you don't lead yourself first. You can't do things for others typically if you can't do it for yourself first. It's going to be very difficult. And so that thought process for me is what is love? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, from Hollywood, it's this ooey gooey. I'm supposed to be like, oh, you're awesome. You're amazing. Self affirmations every day. And it's not a bad thing. But for me, that's not what true love is. Love is to be patient, is to be kind. So we can use affirmations, is to be honest. If you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing, you usually know it before anybody else. Are you being honest with yourself? You shouldn't be here. And then on the other, are you listening to your gut? I just love that point. What happens that there are these seasons where it's easy for us to deceive ourselves and be dishonest to ourselves? Because like you say, we really know this is not a smart thing to do, right? I shouldn't be doing this, yet we're doing it. So, and we've both done it. So there is no judgment about you listening. This is a self-awareness conversation because, hey, I know, what do they call it now? It was the COVID-15, then it became the COVID-20. Who knows what it's going to become? That a lot of us, and I'm saying us, we've gotten into unhealthy, maybe even destructive habits of eating because they're these things we can't control. So even these little things, Emily, right? So when you asked that earlier, I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, she's really going to ask me? Gosh, Mm -hmm. you look a little heavier than you did the last time I saw you, no? (laughs) No, what it is, what I found is, What we talk about a lot is dopamine, Mm. which is your reward mechanism. And what came for me is a realization somebody said is that the biggest addiction that people have are not drugs and all these other things. It's comfort. Mm. And so whenever we do things, are we doing them what I call as a dopamine release? Are we doing them out of comfort? Are they reward? It's just, ah, it feels good. Is it a feel good? Is it Hollywood? What I call it, Hollywood love. Is it pretty and it looks good? Or the other thing is, is it oxytocin, which is, is it real love? And that real love is that trust. Mm -hmm. And that's whenever you ask yourself, am I being patient? Am I being kind? Am I being honest? Am I not judging myself in this conversation? And those really spark the difference for me of whenever I can be like, oh, and I still get in the season though, because it's addictive. Dopamine is addictive. It is literally what makes addictions. 
So it's not like, hey, I can pop out of it like I want to. Ask any addict. No addict wants to be an addict. No depressed person wants to be depressed. Right. But they're all connected. They're so connected with one another that you have to work with yourself and you have to see those cues. You have to figure out those thoughts that lead to the feelings, which leads to the actions, which over time create behaviors. So help us recognize some of the negative and then a path forward. And I want to say a path forward, not the path forward. Just like we call this, we are very clear. And I'm so grateful to my friend and collaborator, Christy Kern, for saying, can we call it this extraordinary life, not the extraordinary life? Because, right, so there is a path. It's not the path. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that. So... A path that I think is very important is addressing your thoughts. And Dr. Amen is actually one that I learned this from. It's called Killing the Ants, and it's Automatic Negative Thoughts. Hmm. Automatic Negative Thoughts, which correlates to the negativity bias that we all have, right? Correct. And so, and the act of killing the ant, you got to think that your automatic negative thought is an ant, and we want to squish it. We want it gone. We don't want it here. So how do we do that? Because they keep popping up. They're little pesky little boogers. And you're like, oh, I want them gone. So one thing is, is to acknowledge it. Why is it there? And so say that I have this thought that I'm not good enough. Or my husband doesn't think I'm good enough. And then I look and I ask myself, is it true? I'm like, yeah, it's true. I feel it right now. Mm -hmm. Then I ask myself again, now is it really true? And I'm like, yeah. Maybe, maybe not. There's some evidence X, Y, and Z on why not. And then you're going to ask yourself on the reverse. I, myself, am not loving my husband or I'm not feeling loved. Because nine times out of the 10, whenever you put it on a reverse, on that you're being effective for others and that you're hurting others, you typically will kill that automatic negative thought. Mm. Now, here's the difference, though. If you think the thought's about you and you're like, ah, yeah, I, I, I still agree with it. Feel the feeling on the reverse. I am good enough. Keep using your words until it feels right. Because again, 97% of our decisions are made on our feelings. So feel until it feels right. It feel, and the thing is, is why do we want to do this? Because thoughts lead to feelings, feelings lead to actions, actions lead to behavior. It's a repetitive process. You've been doing this since childhood. What we talk about is that procrastination actually is a habit. Worrying is a habit. Negative thinking actually is a habit. We have to be the one that controls that. And these are simple ways that you can address it, speak to it, and change it. And then go forward with it. Do an action forward with it to kill it. So I know you well enough that I feel comfortable putting you on the spot. Sorry for putting you on the spot. But you want to walk us through an example for you? Because I know you've stepped out into your own business just in the last two years. Oh, yeah. Sure, you went through some of these thoughts even in that process, right? Let's use your stepping into your own business in a broader context of pursuing a dream. Oh, yeah. Okay, because not everyone listening to this wants to start their own business. But I think you and I can agree that Everyone, every one of you listening to this right now, you have a dream that you want to step into. So let's just 
illustrate this, the thoughts, feelings, habits. One of the thoughts that leads so much in my mind that stay a lot for me is that I'm going to fail. I feel like a lot of times I feel like a failure. And it's in that feeling. So how do I bring it to a thought? I recognize it. I'm a failure. What am I really? For me, I've been blessed to meet so many people. Even if my business fails and I go bankrupt, I'm still not failing. Because here's the thing. I've learned so many lessons on what not to do. Mm -hmm. I even talked to my kid about this this morning, about failure is a process of success. If you don't fail, you will not succeed. You can't. Yeah. So, oh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but this right here, this right here is probably the crux of the conversation for someone. Maybe me. No. Some of you listening. And all of a sudden, I was just reminded of Sean Eskinosis, who was with me a few episodes back. I'll dig those out, put them in the notes. Wrote a book, Meaningful Work, A Quest to Do Great Business, Find Your Calling and Feed Your Soul. And I remember how moved I was when Scott said, he talked about the impact on one person in their business and said, even if our business failed today, we are a success. Mm-hmm. And most of us don't get that. Most of us think that success or failure is about the final outcome. And so we have such a messed up definition of failure and success. So you just said something that failure is part of the process. It's not the antithesis of success. It's part of the journey. And that's the part of it, too, is that even when I feel like a failure, I have to go to that thought. I have to change that thought. I have to take it from a negative, look at facts about it, and turn it for me. So what's happening that causes you to feel like a failure in the moment? I mean, this is a really important one for me, Emily, because there are so many times... (laughs) To the question is, what would you go back and tell your... 17-year-old self, 20-year-old self, whatever, whatever that age is. My answer has become this for the last probably 10 or 12 years. Failure is not what you think it is. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I was taught this thing of failure and failure was to be avoided at all costs because failure was fatal and failure was, it's like, oh, well, what if it's not? So what are you feeling when you feel like you're failing? When I feel... The depression. It's that gut, that nausea for me. It's like, oh, I'm going to let people down. Mm. And for me, why mine is so connected is the fact that I am a daughter of a successful business owner. Mm. And because of that, there's a comparison curse. You had a path to stay in the family business. But you made a decision to leave the family business so if you leave the family business and then what you leave the family business for air quotes around fails oh you're really a failure then Ah. and that's the other thing is so many things that income what i had there's so many things that but the thing is what can make me feel that way Mm -hmm. it could be 
I didn't get an email from somebody that I thought I should have had in time. It could be that five minutes before I have a session, I'm like, nobody's going to show up. Hmm. I'm I'm a failure. It could be that the people that I was supposed to have a meeting with canceled on me because something out of their control happened. We tell a story that, oh, that they canceled because they don't want to do business with me. Mm-hmm. They canceled because they found someone else they'd rather hire than me. All of these things, they're these stories that we tell that either support the feeling or call the feeling to account. Mm-hmm. It's true. Mm. And that's the thing, too, is that we know that about 80% of our thoughts are negative. So that means that 80% of their time, we could be in the feeling of a negative that could bring us down. And my goal is to live this extraordinary life. So this extraordinary life. Mm -hmm. And if I know if I'm staying in the negative, there's no way because literally whenever you're stressed, it shuts off your learning centers of your brain. So you can't hear, you can't learn, you're not innovative and you can't grow. And often you can't breathe either, right? I mean, exactly. You're stuck. You literally are stuck. And so finding ways that you can, like I said, kill the ants, kill those negative thoughts. Another thing like you just talked about is breathing. The cool thing about breathing is that whenever you focus on your breath, it takes you off of that negative thought and it brings your body what is called homeostasis or what I like to call your home state. It's what your body wants to be at. It's its natural And so that's the reason why meditation, breathing, prayer, gratitude, those things are things that bring you back to a home state where you can be more in a positive aspect. Hmm. And I do want to note, this is very important, that positive psychology or positivity is not rainbows and butterflies. It is not rose-colored glasses. It is not that. For me, my positive state is whenever I'm walking in love with myself but also in others. And that love is to be patient, kind, honest, understanding, and not boasting of ill will and not being hard on myself. Emily, you just said something that triggered a thought for me. And it's something that our friend, mutual friend, David St. Martin, calling Saint from the UK, replied overnight to a post in this Extraordinary Life community. I just want to get your weighing in on this. The question that we ask everybody that's joined, we'd love to know, what do you think makes life extraordinary? And Saint wrote this, and I shared this with a couple of friends earlier today because I'm like, oh, what a beautiful answer. For me, it is to continue to seek and create harmony. When I am in harmony, there are four things that are aligned. One, what I do. Two, what I think. Three, what I say for how I feel. Hmm. In those moments, things flow without a sense of agitation, tension, or stress. Something you just said triggered this to me that I think you would agree that the harmony of those. And so part of one of the triggers is, hey, when is one of these out of sync, out of harmony? When am I doing things that don't seem natural or not the way I want to show up? Or when am I thinking these thoughts that I know aren't 
constructive thoughts. They are destructive thoughts. Or when I say something, I'm like, did you really just say that? Right? Or when you're feeling something. Yeah, I love that. It makes me think of a class that I teach. And it's basically in the class, we talk about you as a river. And how are you currently flowing? Are you stagnant? Are you raging? Are you just like a little baby stream that's barely going? And what dams you up? Mm. Mm. And realizing there are certain Mm. things that dam you up for you and stops your flow. And it's different for all of us. Can we do this? What dams you up? And then I'll answer. What? (laughs) (laughs) One big thing is my thought process. Whenever I get hard on myself and my perfectionism. Mm. And another thing that will can, and I've worked hard for it to learn how not to let it damn me up, is headache population people. There's only a 10%. I think 90% of people are amazing. But the fact when people will yell and scream and be such fixed mindset, that's something that can damn me up. But it's also connected to a deeper value. Yeah. So perfectionism, we share that. That one, oh my gosh, damns me up way more than I wish it did in life and still working on that. And I normally say, hey, I'm a recovering perfectionist and I'm on a one-day streak. I mean, that's about as far as it gets, right? And then something comes back. And if I'm honest too, criticism, Mm -hmm. criticism, especially when I think unjustified criticism. So and I'll, I'll note to that, too, that I'll say that that can be something. And it, I guess it's back to that 10% headache population because I do programs for Fortune 500 companies or companies of all sizes. But whenever I do one where I have been busting it and I've been knocking it out of the park and then I have 90 to 100 amazing comments and then there's those two negatives. I literally, out of a group of 3,000 people, I knew the 12 people that didn't like me. And I knew it. Those are ants we need to kill. And it is. And it's the thing is, how can I go from a place of empathy and compassion for them instead of a comparison model? And that's what I call the comparison curse, because the aspect is a lot of the times that. Did you curse? I call it a curse. Oh, curse. (laughs) Yes. No. (laughs) It's driving you to the cemetery. So if (laughs) that's where it's going to take you is the graveyard. But you call it the comparison curse. And that's another one that's been difficult for me is comparison. And and so you hang out with us in the hangout. And some folks don't understand, but we teach what we need most, right? So I always say, hey, don't compare. This is a place where you're free from comparing. Emily, I'm saying that for me, not for everybody else that's there. (laughs) But here's the thing, too, is why I think it's so important for you, again, going back to the extraordinary you, look back. Mm -hmm. You have been taught to compare since you were in grade school at minimum. I think it started in kindergarten, but yeah. Yeah. So A's, B's, C's, where are you at? If you excel. Gold stars. Emily has more than me this week. (laughs) And yeah, but it's that. And then you get the data. How many likes do we have now? There's so many things that's all about comparison. And we're inundated with it on how we are not the same and how we're different. And again, if 
80% of the time we're going the negative, but we can hound in on that if we're not careful. And so what I like to teach people is instead of self comparison, which is you against other me versus me, let's be me with we. And that's self-compassion. Self-compassion. And having empathy and care for others. And that we're all in this same world together. So might as well find some awesome people to join us and rock on. Yeah. Mm. Well, Emily, you're one of those awesome people in this world that I am so happy is in my life. What do you want to say before we wrap this up? What makes this conversation complete for you for now? And I can tell you, you will be coming back. We'll be having another one of these conversations sometime in the future. I think the final thing is just the extraordinary you is the you that is ordinary that you look for the extra, if that makes sense. So the big thing is start with you Mm. because the only thing that you can change in this world is you. Mm. That's right. Look at yourself. Look in the mirror. It's going to be some hard, deep work. You're going to shed tears if you're doing it right. You're going to bring up past thoughts. And if you can't bring up thoughts, bring in a close confidant that you love and respect Mm. to be able to walk you through that. And if you don't have that, thank God for counselors because they're amazing. Hire one. (laughs) Hire one. I have one. I'm not joking. I literally have a counselor. Because the thing is, this deep work, because especially if you're a leader, who cares for the caregivers? True. Caregivers need caring for now more than any time in our lifetime. Caregivers need caring now. Yes, because you have to be able, and going back, you have to love yourself first to love others, to lead others. You have to lead yourself. And having somebody that you can have a safe outlet that has a way to digest what you're saying and put it in a neutral spot for you to understand is amazing. Okay. For people that say or thinking, wow, how do I get more of time with Emily? I know there are options. Where do we point them? So you can always reach me out at worksby.com or you can email me. And it is emily at worksby, W-O-R-K-Z-B-E.com. And of course, I'm on all the social media. Thank you, Emily. What a joy to have you here. And thank you even more for what we did before we did this, right? The Waymaking Session, where you're doing this beautiful work, helping us understand the extraordinary you. Thank you, Kevin. It's been a blessing. Emily, that was great fun. I'm so grateful to have you join me today. I learned some things about you I didn't know. I'm curious about you. What's ringing in your ears? What's resonating in your heart mind? What are you thinking about? How aware are you of the role feelings play in your decision making? You know, we really downplay that. Emily cited data that says it's 97% of our decisions are based on feelings And we try to use logic to justify it. Wow. I don't know about you, but the value train I learned included thoughts, actions, behaviors, and destiny. 
And like many of my generation, I had a very small palate when it came to understanding, describing, and getting in touch with emotions. This idea of faults leading to feelings, feelings leading to actions, and actions to behavior. Ah, that's something that we really could spend more time on. This increasing awareness of your thoughts, your feelings, so they aren't impeding the progress towards what matters most for you, and especially the dream you want to pursue. Oh, I want to see you have that dream fulfilled. I also enjoyed our conversation. I'm familiar with it as the negativity bias, the propensity you and I have to believe and fixate on the negative before the positive. Emily called it the ants, the automatic negative thoughts. Hey, don't let ants ruin your picnic. Get them under control. And if you've been listening long enough to this podcast, you know I loved our conversation about failure and that failure is not the opposite of success. It's part of the journey, part of the process. Well, you know, I always love hearing from you and knowing what resonates with you from a conversation. So this conversation with Emily, what resonates with you? And here I'll drop a little something. This conversation with Emily happens to be the last guest conversation I'll host on the Higher Purpose podcast. How's that for a bombshell? Hopefully it gets you to come back next week to hear the rest of the story and learn what's happening next on this journey. As always, my door is open and you have an invitation to reach out, connect. You can email me, kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com, or you can call or text me, 404-713-0713. I'm really looking forward to our next conversation and the opportunity to share what's on my heart and mind and what's coming next. What could 10 days of gratitude do for you? Find out what hundreds of people have experienced and make a change that can last a lifetime at thegratitudechallenge.community because it's better when we do things together.